Good morning, and Merry Christmas. Wasn't that wonderful? Oh man, I loved it. It was awesome. You know, as I was, I was watching the, the kids up here performing, and uh, uh, I, love, I love children when they get up front because it's just kind of each of them has their own personality that shines forth, right? Some of them are very quiet and sweet, and that's wonderful. And some of them just sing out with gusto, and, uh, and I love that as well. And uh, it is a beautiful thing because it's all from the Lord, and God has wired them each a little differently, and each of them are beautiful and precious to Him and precious to us. Uh, you know, I, when I think of the different personalities of the kids, maybe it is a little bit of a foreshadowing of your Christmas this week. Because every, uh, every family, as they gather for Christmas, has a little bit different feel in the home, right? There are some that it's a nice and quiet and peaceful home, and that's wonderful. And, uh, and then, there is, then there are some Christmas homes, and it is going to be loud and rambunctious, and the cousins are running all over the place, and the, and the aunts and the uncles and the adults are telling stories and making a ruckus themselves and even getting into all the kinds of debates, and that's wonderful too. Uh, it is the beauty of uh, God's kingdom that God has wired us all a little bit differently. It is all precious in his sight. And in fact, there's a verse that comes to mind, and it's, and it's from uh, Ecclesiastes 3, and it says, There is a time for silence and a time to speak, right? There is a time to be silent and a time to speak. God knows that there is a room uh, for both. In fact, that verse came to mind when I was looking at the passage that we're going to look at this morning because uh, we're going to be looking at Isaiah 53, and it talks about when Jesus was silent. And I found it quite fascinating. When we think of why Jesus came, we recognize that he came to preach and to, to teach but, he also, but we also have highlighted in this prophecy that foreshadows his coming and anticipates some of the most important things that he says or does. It anticipates that he is silent. In fact, we can learn some very important and spectacular things from his silence. And we're going to wrestle with that this morning. Why was Jesus silent? I've entitled this message, He Let His Actions Do the Talking. And we interpret his actions from what he said, but he let his actions do the talking. And we're going to wrestle with two questions this morning. One is, what can we learn from Jesus' silent actions? And then two, what, uh, how can you love best this Christmas? A lot of application today. And so that is wonderful. And I really pray, I think there's a challenge here for us today. There's a lot of things that we can just rejoice in, but there's going to be a challenge here today, too. And so let's go before the Lord in prayer and ask him to be our teacher. Father God, I thank you for today. I thank you for the wonderful good news that we just heard from the mouths of, of these children. And God, uh, your word says it is from the mouths of children that you have ordained praise, and we thank you for that. We thank you for the praise that we have heard this morning. And God, now I pray that if we have not already, I pray that you would focus our hearts and our minds on you. That whatever you would have for us today, that we would receive. 
We offer ourselves just with humility, like the shepherds that came and bent the knee before Jesus in the manger. Right now, we just bend the knee of our hearts and humble ourselves and ask that you would teach us, that we would receive from you what you would have for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been going through Isaiah 53 uh, as we look forward to Christmas during this Advent season. Isaiah 53 was written 600 years before Jesus came, but it's kind of one of these gems in the Old Testament. It's, we get these rich truths, and we've found things that have been so wonderful and so challenging. Here are the, here's verses, 40, uh, verses 7 through 9 in Isaiah 53. Again, just these wonderful truths that can sink into our hearts this last week before Christmas Day. Isaiah 53, 7 says, He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. There's this silence here. Yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Okay, let me pause. I, I don't mean to pause for too long, but before I finish reading the passage, I just want to make sure we're all on the same page. When it talks about Jesus being led like a lamb to the slaughter, uh, it's speaking of him going to his death. At the end of Jesus' life, he was tried by a Roman uh, governor na- by the name of Pontius Pilate, and what, one of the things that stand out when we read this uh, story of Jesus' trial and crucifixion is that he chose in those moments not to speak. In fact, Mark 15 says, But Jesus made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. Again, we want to wrestle with what that means today. But now that we're all on the same page, we're picking it up at verse 8. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Two times it talks about Jesus' mouth. In, this, in, in what he says here in this passage. And really specifically, two times it talks about what he doesn't say. He doesn't say anything when he is tried and crucified. And then secondly, he never utters a word of deceit. He lived his whole life on earth, 33 years, we estimate. And not once did he tell a lie, not once did he deceive, not once did he lead anyone astray. There was never a word of deceit in his mouth. Now, to emphasize Jesus' silence does not mean that he never talked, right? He said he came to teach and to preach. He taught us about the kingdom of God. And we really have no way of understanding and interpreting his actions except by his words. And some of the most important words that Jesus has ever uh, uttered, uh, in fact, some of the most important words that have ever been heard on the face of the earth come from the mouth of Jesus. The most famous verse, many of you have this memorized, is John 3.16, right? comes from the words of Jesus. Uh, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And so everything that Jesus says and does is motivated by love. 
That's just kind of the underlying principle of this, of this message. Everything that Jesus says and does is motivated by love. So when Jesus stands before Pilate and does not, uh, and does not defend himself, that was motivated because of love. Because he knew he was going to go to the cross and pay the price of our sins. When he, uh, when, he, uh, when he hears the crowds shouting, crucify him, and he does not uh, shout back at them, he could have uh, offered accusations to him, to, uh, towards them. That was done out of love. When he hung on the cross and the soldiers and the passerbys came by and insulted him, he did not retaliate. He did not insult back, and that was all out of love. In fact, everything Jesus does is out, and everything he says is out of love. And I'm going to call this kind of love, this silent love, and we're going to call it quiet love this morning. There is such a thing as quiet love. Do you know that sometimes the most loving thing you can do is zip it? You know, not say anything? There's some application here this week as we look forward to Christmas, right? We're going to get together with some family, and the most loving thing you can do for some of them is zip it. And, uh, and there is something of, of the Lord to his quiet love. Now, when Jesus came to this earth, I am sure that he had the strength to offer quiet love because surely it took strength the, tempta the, the temptation we oftentimes face is, is we want to say things that we shouldn't say. There was a strength there that he received from his heavenly Father. But what I also see in the Christmas story is that it was modeled by his earthly father. Joseph was a man of quiet love. We read this in the, in the Christmas story found in Matthew 1. Listen to the example of, of Joseph in verses 18 and 19. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, and you can understand what that means, before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. There it is, quiet love. Now, I can imagine what Joseph felt like when he found out that his fiancée was pregnant. Because he's no dummy, he puts two and two together, and he knows that she's pregnant, and the Holy Spirit hasn't appeared to Joseph yet, and uh, he knows that she's pregnant, not with his child. So in other words, as innocent as pure, and as pure as Mary appears, in Joseph's mind, she's had, she had to have been fooling around. And I can imagine that he felt anger, he felt betrayal, he felt hurt, and yet, even without all the knowledge, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now, when it says divorce, in ancient Israel at that time, to divorce, uh, they, they were engaged, they were not uh, married yet, uh, but the, the pledge to be married was so strong that to break the engagement would have been considered divorce. And Joseph goes about to uh, end the engagement out of love. He didn't have to. 
In fact, I would imagine all of us would have been ready to drag Mary's name through the mud. She's embarrassed him. He has been hurt. It would have, it would have seemed right and fair for her to just say, forget Mary and uh, throw her to the side. But out of love and respect for this person, he goes about to uh, uh, divorce her quietly, not wanting to expose her to public disgrace. That's a quiet love. And we need to think about our own homes and our own families. And do we have quiet love? Now, I'll admit, when we gather in a church like this, in a room this size, there are, a lot, there are several homes and families that, as we gather, would probably not be characterized as a place of quiet love. And I just want to say that this is a challenge for us. There are homes that would be, more, uh, would be characterized more as a place of loud anger than quiet love. And we need to wrestle with this. If homes that are filled with yelling do not please the Lord. And maybe it is not even the raising of one's voice, but it is the loudness of the comments that are said, and they are hurtful. Scars from uh, loud anger run deep. And a raised voice can still be heard decades later. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to speak very directly here because I, I believe there's a word of challenge for us today. You need to watch what you say in your home. Your home is the best place to live out your Christian faith. You think it's, you think it's at the church? No, no, this is where you come to get equipped to live it out when you're at home during the week. You need to watch what you say. You need to watch your volume and don't raise your voice in anger. And you need to watch your tone because sometimes it's not the volume. Sometimes it's the way that it is said that can be so hurtful. And so here's my challenge to you. I said we're going to have a challenge today. This is a week looking forward to Christmas. You need to start practicing quiet love in your home. You need to stop yelling and start listening. You need to stop demanding from your family and start protecting your family. See, this is what pleases the Lord. This is how we bring the love of God into our home. G Joseph was a man of quiet love. Well, so was Jesus. 1 Peter 2.23 says, When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. You know, I said we we're going to wrestle with a couple questions this morning. The, the, first one, what, the first one is, what do we learn from Jesus' silent actions? Well, we can learn at least two things. One is that we learn that quiet love is an act of trust in God. You see that here in this passage? He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. It's an act of trust in the Lord. When you are always seeking to defend yourself, always seeking to, to, uh, to dig in your heels and, and, uh, and, and to prove that you are not wrong, that shows a lack of trust in the Lord. And when you make accusations to others and, and, and seek to uh, prove that you're not the one in the wrong and, and build yourself up because the other one has done 
wrong. That again is, it is not a, a trust in the Lord. A God who has promised to protect you, to have your back. To the one uh, that you are entrusting is the one who judges justly. Quiet love is an act of trust in God. It is also a demonstration of deep love towards others. You get that? It's a demonstration of deep love towards others. Yes, we've been, we, we are hurt at times. And yes, we feel, and, uh, we feel even resentment or, or anger. But when you respond with quiet love, when you're hurt and when you're uh, upset, when you're angry, it shows a deep care for the other person. There's a gentleness, there's a tenderness that, that says, I really, really care about you. Now, I want to make clear this morning, I'm not talking about issues, uh, situations of abuse. There, there are times where that's the case. I'm not telling you to be silent if you, in situations of abuse. What I'm saying here is, in normal relationships, in the majority of families, we are seeking to bring the peace of God. It says in God's Word, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So now let's just get practical for a minute. Uh, you're gathering f with your family this week for Christmas. And uh, some of you are going to see relatives that you only see once a year. And that may be intentional. <laughs> there are relatives that you're going to see this week, and uh, they get under your skin. They know how to push your buttons. They, uh, your, your natural inclination is... Man, just bite the tongue, because I'm not going to see him for 364 days. And, uh, and that may be exactly what you do. There are going to be people that you see this week, and there, there are others that are, you see every day. And both can have their own unique challenges. And again, I want to emphasize that your home is the best and the most difficult place to live out your faith. I don't know why that is, but the home is the most difficult place to live out our faith. We have a tendency to let our guard down. We have a tendency to say for our fuse to be shorter. We have a tendency to, to get angry and to, to not look. This is a challenge for us. People may know how to push your buttons, but they're still your buttons. You recognize that, right? You get to control how you react. And so this is our challenge. It is a challenge of quiet love. Let me give us a few applications. One is show respect. Behind closed doors and in front of others, show respect. I think of Joseph as the example of behind closed doors. I think of Jesus as the example of out in the open. Both are important. It is never appropriate for you to demean or to criticize your spouse in front of others. Never appropriate. And even behind closed doors, it is not appropriate to disrespect or to belittle your, your spouse or your kids. We are called to uh, show respect to our family members. The second application is take a back seat, okay? Have you ever gone out to the car in, with a bunch of teenagers and, first, uh, and the first thing someone says is, I call front! 
I call front. In other words, they want the front seat, right? Here's my challenge to you. Take the back seat. Purposely, intentionally, just as Joseph and Jesus purposely and intentionally put the needs and the desires of others before themselves, that's your challenge as well. Take the back seat. Show selflessness in a world, especially this week around Christmas, that is so filled with selfishness, we can show selflessness. We can put others before ourselves. You see, your family is not in your life to meet your needs or make you happy. Surprise, surprise, right? Your family is not in your life to meet your needs or make you happy. I don't know how many couples I have counseled through the years, and we get together, and they're having problems, and the reason is the person isn't making them happy anymore. She doesn't make me happy. He doesn't make me happy. Guess what? That's not their job. The Lord is to make you happy. The Lord is to meet your needs. Your family is there for you to love. Now, God's wisdom is fantastic here. Because when you love your wife or your husband or your kids well, it tends to bring happiness into the home over time. And so I'm not advocating to say uh, that your home should be unhappy. I'm just saying that's not the role of your spouse or your kids. uh, You are there to love them sacrificially and unconditionally as Jesus loves. And so that leads us to the third uh, point of application, and that is that you are to love out of obedience to God. Love out of obedience to God. In other words, sometimes you don't feel like it, but you love because God told you to love. You love out of obedience to God. I'm sure Joseph didn't feel like it, uh, loving Mary in, in that humble way. I'm sure Jesus didn't feel like it. In fact, I know he didn't. He prayed the, that in the garden. If there's any way for you to take this cup from me, please do it. But he, uh, but he said, not my will be done, but your will be done. He loved out of obedience. And you are called to love out of obedience. It's hard, I know. And so because it's hard, you might want to recruit some trusted helpers. My wife and my kids have permission to call me out when I don't speak with gentle, with uh, quiet love. Because I don't all the time. And, uh, and my problem is not usually that I raise my voice, though that might come to a surprise to some of you because a lot of you tell me I have a very loud voice, which I do. My tendency is not that I raise my voice, it's that I use a tone of voice that can be very demeaning. And sometimes I don't even realize it. And so I've asked Chelsea and the kids to, to call me out on it. It's good to receive uh, trusted helpers into your life because you want to live as a person of quiet love. That's a blessing from the Lord. It's a wonderful thing. Verse 8 is a challenging verse in this passage. Verse 8 is one of the verses that uh, is, is a little bit more challenging. And so I've asked Art Bastes, who is a member of our church and joined our church a couple uh, months ago. Art is a pastor and a missionary, and so I, I, I said, Art, you want to help me out with this passage? And I, and I prayed about it, and I said, God, please help Art to pick verse 8. 
And then I asked him, and I said, you read it, and you pick whatever verse you want. And Art emailed me back, and he said, I'll take verse 8. So I said, yes, thank you, Lord. And Art's going to come and explain verse 8 to us, and we'll be blessed by that. So let's welcome Pastor Art. Thanks a lot, Pastor Corey. Uh, we men are generally peaceful. That's why when the, a champion of the women's group, the rights, those who were trying to lift up the women, they, one of, they asked one of the pastors, where were you men without us? And the pastor replied, back in the Garden of Eden. Well, our beloved pastor, through the leading of the Holy Spirit about Isaiah 53, 7 to 9, is emphasizing to us the peaceful or quiet love of our Lord Jesus Christ. God also led me to see his persistent or enduring love in verse 8 which is demonstrated in three ways. You know, uh, at first, as a Filipino, I find it hard to digest verse 8. And one of my practices in reading the Bible is going back to my native language. And there, the Lord uh, showed me things. And it is in this at this time that I'd like to share to you these things that the Lord impressed me on this passage. You know, enduring love, as I said, there are, it is demonstrated in three ways. Number one, it endures oppression. You know, it, we are going to define oppression. It is the act of subjugating by cruelty and force. The exercise of authority or power in a cruel or unjust manner. It's the condition of being affected or tormented. And our Lord Jesus Christ experienced all of this. Now the question then is, who were his pressures? Now in this ordeal of our Lord, I saw three groups of people who serve as culprits. From the bottom to the top order were the Romans. They were the justices, governors, emperor, and the soldiers. The second group were the Jews, comprised of the Pharisees, Sadducees, and the scribes. But on top of this were his disciples. Those who were very close to him. And he spent the last three years in life with them. You know, if there is one painful thing or experience that we could have is being hurt by someone who is very close to us, right? Now, 
If you were to ask me, what were his oppressions? Well, we could name some. He was betrayed, arrested, abandoned, detained, interrogated, denied, indicted, inflicted, mocked, humiliated, and subjected to a slow and painful death. Christ was oppressed physically, emotionally, mentally, and even spiritually being forsaken by God the Father. I remember one of our, during my second term as a missionary to Cambodia, we were assigned, or the Lord led us to work in a place in the border of Cambodia and Thailand where there were lots of casinos. We happened to enter in one of the casinos, not in order to, to, to bet, but we were given a ticket for us to, as a treat by our student, you know, to eat there for free. So we were there. And while we were there, I was asked one of, the, one of those, well, uh, you are a pastor and a missionary, and you are here in the casino. What are you doing here? I told, I told them, we're here to show to you that there is Christ, and Christ loves you. Well, uh, one of the converts that the Lord led us was Jenny. Jenny was forsaken by her father. She was a young believer at the age of 22. She came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. And because of her faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, her father forsaken her. But Jenny loves her father. Even her father, you know, signed a document for her that because of Christ, you have to, you have to choose whether you're going to receive an inheritance or your Christ. Jenny had to make, to sign, it's because of Christ. But what was one thing about Jenny is about her love to her father. Despite of what her father has done to her, she keeps on loving him. Even until now, Jenny is already a wife of a pastor whom I trained, and they have three children like us. She maintains a good relationship with her father, despite of what she suffered from the hands of her. She was even beaten up. She couldn't understand why her father was doing that to her. You know, as a missionary, when Jenny ran, ran out from his family because he could not, you know, understand anymore, she used to run away from him. So we accepted her into our home. We let her come. But before that, I did ask permission from the parents 
I asked them, would you allow us that your daughter would stay in our place? And the father said, she's, not longer my, she's no longer my daughter. You can have her. Do you know what? That's how that love of Jenny to her father, she endures those things that she had. She, did, she, she didn't stop loving her father. Number two, enduring love not only endures oppression, but even blindness. You know, Christ had to endure those things. And yet the response of most people was negative. The text says, yet who of his generations protested? You know why? Because they were blinded. None of his disciples defended him. Except Peter. But it was short-lived. None of his very own people answered for him, but instead rejected. And thirdly, enduring love, it endures humiliation or disgrace. His indictment was degrading. He wasn't supposed to receive those ill treatment. He is the son of God. Had they known who he was, they would have been in trembling with great, great awe and fear. And his crucifixion was dishonorable. He was indicted as a criminal. And to make matter worse, he was crucified between the two thieves, signifying he was their master. What a disgraceful act being done to our Savior. Yet because he loves us so much, he endures those ordeals in order for us to be saved from the penalty of sin, power of sin, and later on from the presence of sin. Let me ask you this morning. Maybe your Christmas is not so good because of the oppression or the suffering that you are in? Let me tell you, try to look at what Christ had done for you. Your experience is beyond incomparable to what Christ did. In closing, I have a co-worker who was just, you know, graduated from the seminary and she worked in our church. I was the pastor in the church in Davao City and it was her first day on the work and she did not experience a honeymoon. It was problem. The following day she said to me, Pastor, I'm going to resign. So hard. I told her, okay, uh, tomorrow is a pastors and workers fellowship. It's a fellowship of the pastors and those who are working in the church. So we, we attended. I invited her to join. And in that conference, 
he listened to the testimonies of the old people, old pastors who have been there in the ministry for so long, and they shared their stories. And that young worker, she was in awe, and she said, I'm ashamed with myself. My suffering, the experience that I had, is not comparable to what those older pastors, older workers of the Lord, they have been there, and yet they keep on. And here, I just experienced this little, and I'm giving up. In other words, if you really love the Lord, don't quit. Keep on. God bless you. Thank you, Art. There is a theme to today's service, and that is love. It is the love of God for us. It is our challenge to love others. Today we are talking about a quiet love. And in, there is a chapter in the Bible that we call the love chapter. It's 1 Corinthians 13, and even if you don't church regularly, you, you'll probably recognize some of these words because it's so often read at weddings. And uh, I want to read a few verses as we prepare to close today. 1 Corinthians 13, starting in verse 4, says, Love is patient. Love is kind. Think about these things as we prepare for Christmas this week. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. We've talked about that today. It is not self-seeking. Talked about that. It is not easily angered. It, it, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. There's a challenge here for us as we look forward to Christmas. The last verse goes on to say, And now these three remain faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. I came across a Christmas version of 1 Corinthians 13. In fact, I have it in your programs because I thought this was so clever and wonderful. You might want to pin it on your refrigerator this week to remind you of what Christmas is all about this week. If you are familiar with 1 Corinthians 13, you'll, you'll see that this is just a parallel of what's in the Bible, and it's put it into Christmas style. It says, if I decorate my house perfectly with lovely plaid bows, strands of twinkling lights, and shiny glass bulbs, but do not love my family, I'm just another decorator. If I slave away in the kitchen, baking dozens of Christmas cookies, preparing gourmet meals, and arranging beautifully ordained, a beautifully ordained table at mealtime, but do not show love to my family, I'm just another cook. If I work in the soup kitchen, carol in the nursing home, as we're going to do this afternoon, and give all that I have to charity, but do not show love to my family, it profits me nothing. If I trim the spruce with simmering, uh, 
with shimmering angels and crocade snowflakes, attend a myriad of holiday parties and sing in the choir's cantata, but do not focus on Christ. I have missed the point. Love stops the cooking to hug a child. Love sets aside the decorating to kiss the husband. Love is kind, though harried and tired. Love doesn't envy another home that has decorated Christmas china and table linens. Love doesn't yell at the kids to get out of the way. Love doesn't give to those who, who are able to give in return, but rejoices in giving to those who can't. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never fails. Video games will break, pearl necklaces will be lost, golf clubs will rust, but the giving of the gift of love will endure forever. And so as you look forward to Christmas this week, who will you love? Who will you love that is difficult to love? Who will you love with that quiet love, which means at times it, it just means you zip it. And uh, who will you go out of your way to speak words of love to, to give actions of love to? Who is, who is God calling you to love? In all the busyness of the activities of this week, if love and Christ are not at the center of it, then we've missed the point and we're wasting our time. But there are three that remain, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you for your son, Jesus, who not only gives us the example of love, but he demonstrates love for us. He not only tells us about love, but he, he shows us the way. And not only does he show the way, he makes the way through his death on the cross. And God, I pray that if there is anyone here this morning that has not received your love, they've not asked you to be their Savior and Lord, I pray that today would be the day of salvation for them. I pray that they would be able to receive you and to receive your love. And God, I pray that now this week, all of us would be able to extend your love to someone else, to a family member, to a friend, to a neighbor, to a co-worker. And that may not always be easy. It calls for, at times, a quiet love. And I pray that you would give us strength. We pray this in Jesus' name.